Boy, it's really hot. We good? Okay, so we're going to continue in our series in the book of Romans. You need to find a good axe, hang a really hard right, and it'll drop you right there into Romans. We're going to continue in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. I'm going to ask you to follow along in your own Bibles or on the overheads here so we can all be drawn into the text. And as I say often, in this church, the Bible is the final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice. I want to make sure that you listening around the world know that our ministries are not here and the Bible's here. The Bible is the top. All the ministries are an outflowing of the Word of God, the Scriptures, which are the final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice, especially in this church. So I'm going to ask you to follow along, and we're going to read Romans chapter 2, the first six verses, and then we're going to dig into the text. Starting at verse 1, chapter 2. Therefore, you are without excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge are practicing the very same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing, now look at this, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to what, church? Repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, and verse 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Slide three. So in our last time together, I asked some pretty tough questions because I want to draw you into the text. I want you grappling with the text. So look at some of these questions. And these are just a, an abridgment of the many I asked last week. Is the way that you talk with others, is it toxic? Is it infected with demands? Criticism of others. Is it condemning? Think about it, the way you talk of others. How about this one? What happens with your talk when others sin against you and hurt you? How does your talk start to change? And how quickly do you find yourself being critical of others who don't follow your plans? It's quiet already, Dr. Carter. And how, how about this one? How do you respond to the Lord when he sends suffering or disappointment your way? Slide four. So last week in Romans, we began chapter two, and I'm just going to do a short little synopsis of last week. <clears throat> chapter two. Look at the text. Therefore, you are without excuse. Every one of you 
who passes judgment. For in that which you judge others, and you can see the Greek word there, krenes, judge others, you condemn yourself. It's right in the text. Why? Because you are practicing, and there's the word practice, paresis, the same things, or the same type of judging in the original Greek. So those words, no excuse, that you see up there. We get the word apologetics, or the defense of something. In the Greek text, you see an an, which means no. So, anapologetic, or anapologetos, meaning indefensible, inexcusable, inexcusable. So what does this mean? This means that you and I have no ground whatsoever to stand on. We have no defense that is pure when it comes to passing judgment on others when we are just as guilty of committing the very same sins ourselves, church. That word practice that you see up on the screen, proso, the idea here in the language is this is something that we are habitually doing when we already know it's wrong. And when we see it in somebody else, we're quick to point it out. But we're practicing habitually the same things. So last week we learned why Paul made the statement to the Jews of that day. Now you've got to remember back a little bit, the Jews of back in Paul's day, back in Romans 1, 18, 32, they didn't think that Romans 1, 18 through 32 applied to them, where the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So back in Paul's day, they're, they're like, well, that doesn't apply to us. Because the Jews back in Paul's day, <coughs> they divided the whole world, as we learned, into two groups. You were either Jewish or you weren't. You were a Jew or a non-Jew. So they actually thought when Paul was penning this letter that Paul was condemning the Gentiles simply because they weren't Jewish people. But the Jews actually hated the gospel message because they felt that they did not need salvation because they thought, after all, we're God's chosen people. We have the law, the prophets, the scriptures. We're circumcised. So the Jews of that day thought, well, you know what, we're not in that category. We're in a different category altogether. So they objected to the gospel message just like many people do today. So in the book of John... We saw the Pharisees arguing Jesus. You would see them quarreling with him, debating him. They were hoping to trap Jesus. But Jesus' preaching convicted their hearts and made them see that they were just as much as sinners as the Gentiles, and they really hated Jesus for that church. So we learned that the Jews felt that they had some special immunity from God's divine judgment just because they were God's chosen people. So Paul made his case clear that when you are condemning the Gentiles, you are guilty of practicing the very same sins, and you are without excuse. And we looked at that word that you can see up on the screen, the word judgment there, crenon. It's where we get our English word critic from or criticized from. So when you say that, you guys can say, oh, I know my Greek. I'm proud of all of you. So it means what? To criticize, to form and express a judgment or an opinion on someone that is usually unfavorable or the other idea of critic that we see so much today, you are inclined to find fault or judge others with severity. And I know this is an uncomfortable message, but church, we need to apply the word of God to our own lives so you and I can grow. Amen? 
Slide five. Here's some other questions. Looking at the text as we just unpacked it, are there sins that we practice habitually and repeatedly, as the word process says in that other text, week after week, and yet when we see somebody else practicing those sins, we can all of a sudden find ourselves condemning them. Ooh. Or do we find ourselves speaking badly about them when we see them sinning? How about this one? When was the last time you found yourself going on a fault-finding expedition about someone else's life? We call that today gossip. It's quiet. And here's the other one. Who have you condemned lately? How about this? Are there other people's names, are they safe in your mouth? So how do we link this church to what Paul is teaching you and I in chapter 1? Well, if you remember one Romans 1.18 that I just quoted to you, because God's wrath has been continually been revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, and because all people have been given a knowledge of God, Paul says, slide 6, what? <clears throat> Back in Romans 1, 19 to 20? Paul said, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, now look at verse 20. Since the creation of the cosmos, the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen. Well, how can something be, be invisible and clearly seen? It's being seen by what? And being understood through what has been made so that we're without excuse. So then as we learn, Paul has invited anyone who's passing judgment on someone else to go ahead and you might as well include yourself in that judgment because you're just as guilty of sin as the people that you pass judgment on. Paul really wanted the Jews to understand that they cannot be excused from God's judgment just because of your nationality and your God's chosen people. <clears throat> and Paul wanted them to know, as well as you and I to know, that a person, now listen church, no matter who they are or where they come from, no matter what church they belong to, condemn themselves when they condemn others. Why? As the text says, because we practice the very same thing. Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 3.11, there's none righteous, no, not one. Paul was actually quoting Old Testament when he quoted that verse to the Jews. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. All have gone their own way. There is no one who does good, no, not one. Right out of the scripture. That includes all of us. Slide 7. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you see that there? Again, we see that word judgment. And here the idea is when you are pronouncing a verdict on someone else, that judgment of God is rightly fallen. Now, this Greek is interesting here. If you look down at the text, you're going to see three words there. One of the words, there's nothing under it. That's the word estin, but you're going to see rightly falls. 
that word estin is very important. Very important. How do we how do we break this out? That word there means I exist. I am. Remember when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am? Why is this so important here? The very God that has existed from all eternity past, who is the creator and author of everything that is right and just, says that that judgment rightly falls. Those words rightly falls that you see there, the word rightly is the word kata, meaning according to something or going down. But the word falls there is actually where we get our word truth from. That's where we get our word truth from, church. So what really is what actually exists? Meaning all the judgment from God who has existed from all eternity past, who is the author of truth, says that judgment will rightly fall upon each and every one of us. Because we practice the same thing. So please understand here that even if you are a child of the living God and you sin, he will punish you. He will punish me. Whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastises or chastens. And we all know that sin generates consequences. So hear this this morning. When we are sinning against God habitually and repeatedly in some way, and we know better, we are causing God to withhold his blessings. There are many people today who think that they'll say things like this. Oh, Pastor Jack, God is a good God. And he's a loving God. He would never be that way towards me. He's a good God, Pastor Jack. He's too loving to punish sin. <clears throat> but as you guys have been learning from the text, that's not what the Bible says. They don't realize or understand that God... Just because he is truly a loving God, he will never give you a blank check to go ahead and sin. And then you try to justify it. He will never condone sin. And church, he never overlooks it. And he will not bless us when we are willfully choosing to disobey him. And here's the thing. We really have no right to ask him to bless us when we are willfully and habitually choosing to sin. God's loving kindness is there to do something Let's never forget it. To lead us to repentance. Not leading us to criticize and hurt each other and use our mouths as weapons of mass destruction to tear down and destroy anyone. I know none of you have ever been guilty of that, so we're okay. Slide 8. But do you suppose this, O oh man, <clears throat> when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and you're doing the same yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? So what is he doing? He's building on this, this case he's building and he's trying to drive home a point. And you see that word suppose there, the text. That's the word logizome. What does that mean? It means calculating. It means taking an inventory you know, sometimes married couples, when they're fighting all the time, they'll take an inventory and they'll say, remember three weeks, four years, and 22 days ago and seven minutes ago, you did this, this, that, and the other? 
And we become these sin archaeologists. So we'll go back into the old piles of sin and we'll grab a juicy one and we'll bring it up into the present and we'll hurl it out of our mouth like a weapon of mass destruction. So we're calculating, we're taking an inventory. And none of you all have that problem, so that's okay. So then the person who thinks or she thinks that they're better than others and who is critical of others sadly calculates that their sin is either non-existent or, you know, we're not so bad at all. And that's hypocritical, church, because the text says, I don't say, the text says, you pass judgment on those who practice such things and you do the same yourself. We don't like that, but that's what the truth means. So as we've clearly learned from Scripture, God must punish sin because His judgment that has always been from all eternity past is according to truth as you saw in the text. God has judged our sins according to truth and in doing so it meant the death of His only unique Son. So here in this verse 3, we see Paul stating that when we pass judgment on someone else, who habitually and repeatedly, repeatedly sins as a way of life, and we practice as a way of life sinning ourselves, how much more must God condemn sin because he judges according to truth? Please hear me this morning. There is no escaping the judgment of God because 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, All of us must appear before the judgment seat of God to give an account of the deeds that we did in our body, whether good or evil. All of us. So none of us has any argument that you and I could ever win against holy God. And then he finishes up verse 3 with that you will escape the judgment of God. That word escape is an interesting word. It means fleeing or evading. So sadly, folks today still think that they can evade or escape the judgment of God. And many think that God will make some kind of exception for them. So they constantly try to persuade themselves that they're okay. And at times we're all guilty of that, aren't we, church? Let's be honest. How about this? Have you ever thought this way at some time? Maybe sometimes you think this way. How easy is it for us to say things like, you know, I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person like that person is over there. See what that person over there did? See what he or she did? That's right. Did you hear? Did you hear what so and so did? Don't look at me. I'm perfect. Did you see what that person did? What do most folks do? Well, they continually go on with living a sinful kind of life because it appeals to them. If we really want to be honest with the Lord and ourselves, we should come clean and admit that, you know, church, we may not want to admit it, but we love our sin too. We don't do it because we hate it. We love our sin too. It's sad, but it starts with man. And everything has to be done in such a way that pleases man. So folks today will try to modify God to fit in with their wants and desires. And Paul was very clear here as he spoke to the Jews that it's foolish to think for a moment that they would escape the judgment of God, especially when they're just as guilty of judging the Gentiles for the same things that they were practicing themselves. How about verse 4, slide 9? 
Or do you think lightly of his riches, his kindness, his tolerance? Do you see those three words up there? And patience. You see the fourth word. Do we think lightly of his riches, his pluotu, his riches, his kindness, his tolerance, his patience, the macrothemaeus, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Think about that. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. So you see that word or up there. That's a rhetorical question Paul's asking him. And he's doing this on purpose. He's doing this to show the foolish assumptions that the Jews were making when it comes to being exempt from God's wrath and judgment. And he wants to show the person who thinks that he or she can sin and get away with it by avoiding the judgment that this person is actually showing contempt and mockery for God's wonderful grace. Think about it. When we sin, isn't that a mockery against God? Think about it. He says, do you think lightly? Katafreneo, the word phreneo is our minds, our thinking. So when you have katafreneo, means against, you're thinking against, or you're thinking lightly, you're just brushing it off. It has the idea here of rejecting God in your heart because you want your sin more than you want to walk in obedience with the Lord. Think about it. Let's be real this morning. When you and I habitually sin, and we already know what's wrong, and yet we continue to do it anyway. Do we not also show contempt for God's mercy? Boy, it's very quiet now, Dr. Carter. Wow. Do we think against him? Do we do the katafraneo? Is our mind thinking against it? Do we not take God seriously when we're doing that? Look at the three words he uses in the text. Riches. That's really describing the attributes of God's mercy. The word riches speaks of something that is extremely valuable. What then is valuable? He tells us here in the text, God's kindness and tolerance and mercy. And Paul is expressing for you and I something important that we need to learn as we try to put Christ on display in other people's lives. Paul is expressing God's patience and God's gentleness in that he withholds that judgment that rightly falls on each sinner, and that means all of us. Do we realize that this is how God is with us every moment of every day? Because, church, whether we want to agree or not, we sin in thoughts, words, deeds, actions, and motives. We even sin in our prayers. I don't want us to miss the meaning of these words that Paul uses, kindness, Christates. This has the idea of God's grace which pervades God's whole nature and it all that would have been harsh. His kindness, his Christates, his tolerance, his enoke, to bear with, to put up with, to tolerate. Patience, that macrothame, that long-suffering that you're with somebody for the long journey, which is what brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to be doing. 
So what does that mean? How does that flesh out for you and I today? Let's bring it around. This all points to God's grace and his willingness to forgive we who are sinners. It expresses the idea that God is withholding his punishment and restraining the execution of his wrath that we all deserve. He's not instantly executing his wrath to avenge sin, and we do that to him every day. How does that sit with us this morning, church? Sorry, it's not a feel-good message, but it's what the text says. Are are, are we beginning to realize... Are we beginning to realize just how much God incredibly, truly loves us? Think about it. Are we beginning to realize that, that God loves you so much that he punished his own son for you? Shouldn't that change the way that we handle each other? Paul says, not knowing the kindness of God leads you to repentance, to that metanoia? You see, Paul is speaking of a person in this text, because he's asking it as a rhetorical question, who could care less that the kindness and goodness of God is designed to lead people to repentance. Hear me this morning. The whole purpose of this kindness and mercy that God shows us is in no way designed to excuse sin, but rather to move our hearts to want to repent. The word metanoia means to go in the opposite direction. You see, God's goodness and his mercy is designed to bring us to that repentance and to salvation. Slide 10. But what did Paul say to the church of Corinth? The natural man, meaning the man who is dead in his sins and trespasses, the man who is alienated and estranged from God, who is not born again, that man does not accept, literally he does not welcome into his heart the things of the Spirit of God. Why? To him, they are foolishness, meaning meaningless. He cannot understand that because he's spiritually appraised. And I've turned on this verse before. What is the job of an appraiser? An appraiser, if you're trading a car in, he looks at your car and he attaches a value to that car. Or if you're selling a home, an appraiser comes out and says, this is what this home is worth. So here the, the unsaved man says, I attach no value to the gospel, to the EU Galeon. I attach no value to the kindness and mercy and patience of God. That's foolishness to me. I want nothing to do with that. I'm my own God. I like the way I do things on my own. But when God shows his goodness upon sinful man... He does it to lead him to repent of his sins. And sadly, most people today despise it. You have people sitting in church every week. Some people hear the gospel and believe, and some people just live out 1 Corinthians 2.14. So church, we must never forget, and we must never, ever, ever forget that it is God alone and only God alone who can save sinful man. Nothing else. No man can repent or believe until God gives him a new nature. When the Holy Spirit comes in and quickens him, as the King James says, wakes him up, and he hears the gospel, and he sees his sin, and he turns from it, and he surrenders his life to Christ. 
It is God that gives man the faith he needs to surrender his life to Christ as Christ has been freely offered to him in the gospel. Dead people can't make themselves alive again, Ephesians 2.1. Only the finished work of God the Holy Spirit in that person's life can accomplish this to wake a person up spiritually and effectually call that person out of darkness into an intimate relationship with him, church. But man wants to take the goodness of God to serve himself. So then, church, it is the operation of God the Holy Spirit, who is a person, not a force, that gives the man a new mind and a new understanding. That should excite you. That should fire you up. The first evidence that a man or a woman has been born again is that that man or woman repents and believes the gospel, the euagalion. So it should be clear to each of us this morning that we cannot see the need for a Savior unless we see ourselves as a sinners heading in the wrong direction on the way to hell. You don't come to Christ and then repent later. The gospel calls us to repent. See our sins, our criticisms of others, whatever it is, for what they really truly are and how they, those sins, have separated us from Christ. So to repent then means that we go in the opposite direction. We have a change of mind. We come to a different conclusion. Hear me this morning. Paul is dealing with some Jews who see the goodness of God. They see his tolerance and patience. And yet they come to a conclusion, but sadly it's the wrong conclusion. The unsaved man sees God as a tyrant who is against him, who treats him harshly and unfairly because man wants his own way. He wants control. He wants pleasure. The unsaved man has a very wrong view of God. Why? Because people want control over their life outside of God. They want all the blessings from God while they want to grab and run the other way. But when man truly repents, when he truly comes clean with God, first what? First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is then just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If is a conditional clause. When man truly repents and he surrenders his life to God and he starts to recognize that his sin has separated him from God, he begins to see God's wonderful grace and mercy and compassion. I like what Job says, slide 11. This is powerful when Job said, now this is God, Yahweh, talking to Job. Look at, we get to peek into this conversation of Yahweh talking to Job. Then Yahweh says to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Boy, how often do we want to do that or do it? Let him reprove God. God answers it. Then Job answered Yahweh and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I'm laying my hand over my mouth. We can learn a lesson from Job, can't we, church? Amen. Instead of blaming God for the sinful behavior that we produce, we need to put our hand over our mouths 
be quiet and listen to God. Well, how does that happen, Pastor Jack? Open your Bible. Open your Bible. I'm begging you. You want to hear from God? Open your Bible. Job was speaking wildly. But when he came into the presence of Yahweh and Elohim revealed himself to Job, he put his hand over his mouth. He saw just how wrong and foolish he was about God. Hear me this morning. All of us have been wrong about God. The beginning of repentance is that we have a changed attitude towards God. How's your attitude towards God when you don't get your way? We have this new thinking about Him when we come to faith in Him. And this thinking comes as we build the Scriptures into our lives. Our thinking about God is only correct when it is based on what the Bible says, not what we feel, not when the hairs on the back of our head stand up. It's based on the Scriptures. The Scriptures reveal to us who God is rather than basing it on our own ideas and arguments. We need to stop this foolish and sinful thinking that God is unfair to us. Hear me this morning. No matter how bad it is, God is never unfair to you. Every breath in your lungs is a gift from God. And in our flesh dwells no good thing. So we need to have this changed view of ourselves. And we, we, we begin to see ourselves as God sees us. We are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And you should be preaching the gospel to yourself every day throughout the day. And we should be truly amazed that God tolerates us at all. He is a, truly a God of mercy and kindness and compassion. Hear me this morning, church. There is no special self-defense course when it comes to being in God's presence. We have no defense we have no ground to stand. Why? We are sinners and we need to come to the place in our hearts that we do not deserve anything from God. What a change that happens when you realize we don't deserve anything from Him, church. We need to understand that the only thing we deserve is punishment. But when we truly repent, we begin to see our life as a brand new journey towards Christ. And there is no place in this journey to live a sinful, fleshly lifestyle where we think we deserve the best parties and comfort. Our conduct, our behavior, as we come to faith in Christ, we build the scriptures in our lives. Listen, our conduct and our behavior begins to go through this radical change. Our way of life goes in through a radical change, church. When we begin to live for Him, for His glory and His honor, we decrease as He increases through us. So when people see you, are you a living, breathing, walking translation container of His Word to the people He sends you to? Does your lifestyle show them that somebody is inside you and your life is different? Or do we look no different than the world? There's an acid test for you. Slide 12. <clears throat> I only have 17 more pages of notes. You're fine. No, I'm kidding. We're almost done. Paul says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. 
Look at that text there. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant cardiac. That's where you get the word cardiac from. You can talk to Tracy about that later, about cardiacs. You are, look at the word there, storing up for yourself wrath. That's the word orge right there. Wrath on the day of wrath and the revelation, the apocalypse of the righteousness judgment of God. What a powerful verse. <clears throat> Stubbornness. Sleratas. Something that is hard, callous, harsh, inhumane character. Stubbornness. Unrepentant. Choosing not to go in a different direction. There's no change of mind. That's unrepentance. I know it's wrong, Pastor Jack. I'm going to do it anyway. Paul is using these words here to speak of what's inside a person's heart. Hear me this morning. Paul wanted the Jews to understand as well as you and I that the trouble with us is inside. It's the sin on the inside of me that connects me to the sin on the outside of me. Your heart is the directional system of your life. So whatever rules your heart is going to have inescapable influence over your life and behavior. What's ruling your heart right now? What do you treasure so much right now that no matter what, you don't want to give it up? What is a treasure? A treasure is something that gives you value. That's what treasure is. What gives you value? Your home, your car, your job, your friends, or is it the Lord? What gives us value? Unrepentant. I'm choosing not to go in the right direction. The essence of sin is found in our hearts. So what does Paul say? Put up slide 13. It says, because of your harsh, callous heart, because you have chosen not to repent, change the direction of your life over to God. So here's some questions. And these are questions to get you to think about your relationship with God. Forget everybody else. It's just you and God. You're facing the holy God right now. Think about these questions and think about, are there areas of my life where I need to repent and change? How's your heart lately? Is there any stubbornness going on in there? Is there any anger or bitterness against somebody else that you've chosen not to forgive? You chose not to forgive them. Any anger, any bitterness there? Now it's really quiet, Dr. Carter. Any callousness there against God? plaguing your heart. You're angry at God because you wanted God to do this, this, that, and the other, and he didn't. And so now you're putting him on trial. Have we been putting God on trial in our hearts lately? And here's the really acid question for all of you. Because someday you will draw your last breath. Someday you will die. And you will stand before God. Are you still living the way you lived before you said you got saved? When we do baptisms here, I give a worksheet out. Three questions. What was your life like before you came to Christ? What were the behaviors and things you practiced as a way of life? When did you come to faith in Christ? And what is truly different about your life now if you truly came to faith with Him? What is different between the way you used to live and the way you're living now? And if there's no change, you're not born again. Sorry, you're not. Slide 14. Well, where does this come from, Pastor Jack? I'm so glad you asked that question. Mark. For from within, out of the what? 
The heart of men precedes what? Evil thoughts, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and they do what? Defile the man, church. There it is. Slide 15. How about this one? James 4, 1 through 4. What is the source of the quarrels and the conflicts among you? What's the source? Where is it emanating from? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members, your flesh is warring against your spirit, and your spirit against your flesh. You lust. That's the word epithemia. You're yearning after the things that God said, thou shalt not. You're, you, you epithemia, you lust. You don't have, so what do you do? You commit murder. You're envious of what others have, and you can't have what they have, so what do you do? You fight and you argue, you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you do not receive because you ask with the what? Wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Pastor Jack, I need my cable TV. Forget that money, all the money that I earn belongs to God. Uh-oh, I'm treading on toes. So based on what the Bible says, sinful man hates God. We don't like to be told when we're wrong. And this is why the preaching of the gospel is so very important. It either softens or it hardens hearts. People hearing this right now want to shoot me and kill me or their hearts are being softened. Sin, church, is deceitfulness. It hardens us. Sin in our life hardens our hearts. Every time we choose to not listen to God, we harden our hearts against Him. And every time we continue in this sinful behavior, we are grieving the Holy Spirit by whom we are sealed on the day of redemption. You know, I think of Ephesians 4.29 when we talk about our mouths being a weapon of mass destruction. And Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any corrupt communication proceed from your mouth but only what is necessary for edification that you impart grace to the hearer according to the need of the moment. What is an edifice? An edifice is a building up. The words that come out of our mouth. By the way, something that's very important that we never seem to remember, God owns our talk. Did you ever stop and think that? He owns our talk and he owns our mouth. So we have to be careful because sin is deceitful. Church, as I close, it is a man with a tender heart that desires to yield himself to the Lord. Let me just read real quickly what Isaiah says in slide 16. Ezekiel 11, 17 through 19. Therefore, thus saith Yahweh, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered. I will give you the land of Israel. When they come there, they... Now look at verse 18, please. When they come there to that land of Israel, 
They will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations from it. Do you have any idols in your home? What does that mean, Pastor Jack? Things that you attach time, treasure, and value to that's not God, that's stealing your time away from God? Oh, boy, here we go. Yeah, real quiet. You know, you're on the iPhone. Or you're on your iPad. Or you're watching the TV with the Cheerio drooling down your face. How many people are going to have worship disorders when when the Eagles play this afternoon? Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. But think about it. And look at verse 19. I will give them one heart. Look what, look what Yahweh says. I will put a new spirit within them. I'm going to take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, church. What's going on? Only God can give us a new heart. God is the one that takes the stony heart out and puts the heart of flesh in. The unsaved man doesn't realize this and the trouble that he is in with that kind of heart. So the business of the preaching of the gospel is to reveal to him that. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I know I asked a lot of questions, and I know this message has been really hard to fit in your ear because we're going to be celebrating Holy Communion in about five minutes. And I know that this is is tough stuff to hear. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and do business with God this morning. Don't worry.